and Bil'am. Balak and Bil'am, everybody knows, everybody knows the story. Balak was the king of Moab, and he was in fear of the Jewish people that were coming through his land. If you get a picture of the map of, of Israel, of Eretz Israel, you know, the Jordan River. So the left side of the Jordan River also is the west from the Eretz, from the uh, uh, Israelite point of view. They were going west. In order to go west into Eretz Canaan, they had to pass through the land of Moab, Sichon, and Og. Right? They had to pass through that land. So the first one was Moab. So Moab heard that they were coming, and the king of Moab, Balak, commissioned Bilam to curse the Jews, which is an interesting idea about which, you know, you could say whatever you want to say, right? You could think about it. Today we wouldn't do that. We would try to get missiles from Russia, but they decided to get to curse the Jews. Now, this project of cursing the Jewish people didn't work out so well, because every time Bil'am stood up to curse the people, he said something nice about them. So this sort of indicates that he was under control of God, and God was wanted to bless the Jews and didn't want to curse the Jews. Okay, so you say whatever, you say whatever you want to say about that. But what remains unclear, certainly, remains unclear, and it's a question that has to be addressed, I think, is what, why, why is it so important that Bilam, this non-Jew, who was really believed in God and had certain kind of divine uh, associations, but didn't understand very much about God, didn't understand that God preferred the Jewish people, for example, even though God told him that. Nevertheless, so he went out to curse the Jews, and in fact he was forced to bless the Jews. Well, why do we have to get these great blessings, like Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov, that everybody, everybody knows? Why do we have to get them from Bil'am? If God wanted these blessings to come to, uh, to us, so God could have uh, made the donkey, remember the donkey who kept smashing against the wall and annoying Bil'am? So you could have killed Bilam then when he was on the donkey and have Moshe Rabbeinu bless the Jewish people. Wouldn't that be kind of more aesthetically pleasing to have a good guy blessing the good guys? So why do you have to have a bad guy blessing the, the Jewish people against his will? Right? Like, like what, is, what is so good about that? What's so good about that? Why not get a blessing from Moshe, from Aaron, from whoever, whoever was blessing worthy, right? Um, in the parsha, in the parsha in Dvarim that talks about how our long-standing attitude to uh, Ammon, to Moab should be, right? The first source, the psukha, we saw them last time, but uh, just remind yourself, Lo yavo Ammoni Moavivi Kal Hashem, that the Ammonim and the Moavim, let's say Moavim, that's who we're talking about, the Moabites, they can never become absorbed into, into the Jewish people. That's their punishment. Al-Davar, now what did they do wrong? Al-Davar, right? they didn't give you bread and water when you came from Mitzrayim. And worse, Asher Sachar Alechet Bilam Bet Baor Mipetor Aram Naharayim Likaleleka. That that uh, Bilam, that's what they did. They they hired Bilam 
to curse you. And that's unforgivable. Why is it unforgivable? After all, the curses were all turned into blessings. What was so terrible about the, the subtotal, like the bottom line, as they say? You know, Bilam failed. Balak failed. He, he, they were not able to curse the Jewish people. So we're supposed to punish them forever because they failed. They didn't do what they wanted to do. They weren't able to curse the Jewish people. It's hard to, it's hard to like get a handle on, on that. Okay? But if you look at Rashi, Rashi says there's more to the story. Because Rashi says, Lo Amoni. Lo Yisai Yisraeli, it means you should never intermarry and become part of the Jewish people by marrying a Jewish woman. Al-Dvar, Al-Dvar, Al-Ha'etzah, Sheya'atzu etchem lehachtiachem. Eitzah, you know that word Eitzah? What was the Eitzah? What was the Eitzah of Bil'am? Well, the, the Torah doesn't really tell us what the Eitzah is, but we know that there's a story at the end of the parasha of Balak. This parasha, this week, at the end of the parasha, which is a terrible story. If you look at the second source, it says, Vayeshev Yisrael b'shitim, Vayechel Abliz not el benot Moav. That benot Moav were the, uh, were provided prostitution services for the Jewish people, is not el benot Moav. So somehow these women were able to convince the Jewish men that in order to have the services, the prostitution services, they would have to first act or serve the idol. And Rashi, Rashi explains that by Yishtachavu Leiloheim, you see in Pasuk Bet, Kshetakaf Yitzro Allah Vamala. Tishmi'ili, like a, a Jewish guy came along and said, well, you know, this is a, a good-looking girl. She takes out of her pocket, like in a cellophane package, a little picture of the idol of Pa'or, uh, called Pa'or. Rashi explains that as well, but it doesn't matter. He, and he says, uh, from, from in her, you know, wherever she hides things. So she says to him, okay, it's a deal. You bow down to this idol and then we'll be able to, to have a good time. So, uh, and this, this was absolutely devastating to the Jewish people. This, this. In other words, Bilam was unable at all to curse the Jews. But the girls from Midian were able to destroy the fabric of the Jewish people. So much so, Pasuk Gimel, They became, they cleaved to Baal Pa'or. They were really into it. This became, this became a, a major, a major affliction. And God was angry with Israel. So God suggests the punishment to, to punish all these people and put them, uh, uh, crucify them actually. And uh, uh, 
Vahokaotam. Rashi says, if you look at the Rashi, you see, Apasuk Dalet Vahokaotam. Rashi says it's to hang. And then he, and he, he, uh, he proves it, right? But, uh, but in, in any event, God was angry, and God directs Moshe Rabbeinu to, to punish those who are, those who are involved. Now, if you look at, uh, at Pasuk Hei, Vayomer Moshe Shoftei Yisrael, very interesting. Vayomer Moshe Shoftei Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu turned to the judges in Israel. Each one of you killed two people. Each one of the Shoftei Yisrael killed, uh, killed two people. Uh, this was in the So while all this is going on, like it's like you have a close-up. Suddenly, like you have all these girls and all these guys, and everybody's they 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 start to kill them. The ones who were participating, and all of a sudden, within this this scene, you know, like suddenly, you the camera focuses on somebody. There's this guy, and this guy, uh, uh, so there's this guy who acts with extreme chutzpah, while all around him people are getting killed and people are, are bowing down to idols and, and the whole thing is a riot, like there's a riotous situation. And Rashi says, Rashi says, So Rashi says, Nitkapsu Shimon Zimri. The whole tribe of Shimon came over to Zimri. And you're not doing anything. How come you're not protecting us? He says, well, they, they're killing us, and you're not protecting us. Because that's what it says in the Gemara, right? You know that these names, Zimri ben Salu and Kazbi Batsu, are mentioned in the beginning of next week's Parsha. In Pinchas, that's how Rashi knows their names. He says, Le'inei Moshe, listen to this. You see Le'inei Moshe, it's the, the second, end of the second wide line in the Rashi. Le'inei Moshe, Amrulo Moshe, Zo Asura Omuteret. They came to Moshe Abedu and they said, This woman, this Midianite woman, right, that that I am going to sleep with, and that Zimri is going to sleep with Zimri, the, the Nasi, Asura, Omater, they say to him, they ask Meshaila. In the midst of all of this mess going on, they ask Meshaila, Zo Asura, Omuteret. Is it permitted to have relations with this woman or not? In Tomar Asura, and if you'll tell me that she is forbidden, Bat yitro mi hitira lecha. Who gave you permission to marry the daughter of Yitro, who happened to have come from Midian? He came from Midian. His daughter was a Midianite woman. So they go to Moshe Rabbeinu, they go to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, if you could marry her, 
So we can do this. I mean, what's the difference? What's the difference? It's not, it's not like, uh, like uh, she's, it's a riot. Like, like you can't have this sexual relation. You can, obviously. I learned that from Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? So if we stopped here, if we stopped here, we understand. We understand that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, what started out as a problem of idolatry turns into a problem of leadership. Is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, after all, commanded the Shoftim, remember that word Shoftim, judges, the judges were commanded to kill everybody. Now, what does that mean? Did you ever hear of judges going around killing people? Judges judge. And judgment takes time. It's not something that happens at the moment. The judges are usually not able to act out their interest. You know, if you bring a serial killer to trial and, 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 and the judge you know, feels raised, he can't just shoot him. He has to try him. And then they argue about the punishment. And then they put him away. And this is like the process. This is called due process. This is what every person deserves. Every person deserves. But in this case, there was no due process. Because the judges, the judges were the witnesses, the judges, and the executioners. All at the same time. Now, in Halakha, there's a name for this. There's a name for what I just described, where the judge is the witness and the judge and the executioner. There's a name for this. And that name is a little bit of a long name. Is Boel... That, that Boel et Aramit Kanaim Pogimbo. Which means that a person who has relationships that are forbidden to him with an Aramean woman, Boelet Aramit, right? Kanaim Ponik Pogimbo. You can kill him. You can kill him. You don't have to wait because the danger to the community is so great as we see. Here the people were, were, were having relations with Midianite women. The Midianite women were convincing them to become idolatrous. I don't want to compare it, but I just remind you of the fact that when Yaakov Avinu left the house of Lavan, right, he had a wife whose name was Rachel. And Rachel, Rachel took the trafim with her. And this was the beginning of a problem, an ongoing problem. And then later on when they had the war in Shechem, Shechem, remember Shechem? When uh, the, the sons of... Uh, Hamor went and they had uh, apparently relationships with relationship with Dina and they fought against them and killed them. They stole the idols from Shechem and kept them and Yaakov had to disavow them of it. Make sure they got rid of it. So this business of idolatry, when you come very close to it, having an effect is well known. And that due process apparently Due process is not a sufficient way of guarding against... Uh, look, we have the same problem, right? You have always the same problem. If someone comes to shoot you, you have to shoot him. And you can't say, you can't say, oh, just a second, I'll have two witnesses, and uh, if you kill me, then they'll kill you. I mean, it doesn't seem to be 
of modus operandi. In other words, the, the court system doesn't always work because the courts are supposed to protect the innocent. But there's a situation where the court could be, uh, could actually create a danger for the innocent person who's being stalked by a murderer, for example. Even though in the movies, they always catch him. But I think in real life, they don't always catch him. Very, I mean, before the murder. They, they sometimes they catch him after the murder, but not before the murder. So, Moshe Rabbeinu said, let's have a suspension of due process. And I want the judges to stand and, and, and punish all the people involved in idolatry, all the people involved in idolatry, even though there won't be a court, and there won't be a jury, and there won't be a decision, but you have to just get rid of them. Then along came, along came Zimri, right? Remember Zimri? Who was in the sea of, of Shimon. And what did Zimri say? Zimri said, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? This has happened before in the time of Korach. That Moshe Rabbeinu, what do you mean Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know what he's talking about? What do you mean? He says, well, Moshe Rabbeinu assumes that having a relationship with a Midianite woman is somehow forbidden. But he had a relationship with a Midianite woman, and that wasn't forbidden, so why should any other relationship with a Midianite woman be forbidden, as far as idolatry is concerned? So let's have a regular court, uh, regular court sitting, and let's, let's, let's bring them, bring them to justice, right? All of these people. Then along comes Pinchas in story, right? Story number three, so to speak, here. Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Pinchas, uh, Pasuk Zion. And Pinchas the Kohen took this Romach Biado, a spear. You know, like a spear, you could throw it, you could push it, you could, like it's a multi purpose tool of destruction. So he killed them. So he killed them. In other words, in other words, he was the one, that's what the Chazal say, that they forgot uh, the halacha of Boilas Harames, Kanomim, Kanoim Pogimbo, and, uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu needed somebody because Moshe Rabbeinu was compromised, right? Moshe Rabbeinu married this Midianite woman, so he was compromised, which means that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't, couldn't operate against, couldn't kill them. Allah came. Pinchas and he killed him. Alright? So there are two questions that I would like to answer. There are many questions that you could ask. The first question, of course, is why was it that Bilam, who was not successful, was the author of all these great brachot that, uh, that we have in the parish of Bilam? Question. And question number two, what's the connection between the story of Bilam and the cursing and this story of the Moabite of the Moabite women. So I remind you of a pasuk, the third, um, the third source on the page. Bamidbar Perik of Dalit Pasuk Yudalit Vata. Ami Bilam is distraught. You know he has not been able to carry out Balak's wishes. Vata Ami I will give you advice, Balak. Asher Yaseha Amazela Amecha Bacharita Yamin. 
Go, I will give you advice. What's the advice? You see the Rashi? Even though I failed, I'm going to give you advice. He says, I want to tell you that the God of Israel hates this kind of uh, loose living and, 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 uh, and, and strange relationships between men and, uh, and women, and he will certainly punish them. In other words, in Rashi, in the Gemara, from this word, I will give you advice, Bilam becomes tied together tied together with this business of sending the girls to convince the, the Israelite men to be idolatrous on the basis that God would never forgive them. And many of them died, right? It says in the puzzle, many died at this time. So, again, uh, if that's the case, if that's the case, why is it downplayed? Why isn't it written in the Torah? Why is it written in the Torah that Bilam gave this advice? And in the parish in Devarim, which we learned before, it says, why stay away from the Moabites? Because they hired Bilam, and Bilam was hired in order to curse you. doesn't say anything about the Eitzah. The Eitzah, this advice that Bilam gave to Balak, is pretty well hidden in the Torah. It's only if you learn the Gemara that, that they come up with this idea based on this person. So that, that uh, while there are many strange things about this parasha, I say these are the things that caught my attention this year. Like Bilam. Like what do I need him for? What does Bilam have to come and bless B'nai Yisrael? And secondly, if Bilam gave the Eitzah, if Bilam gave this advice to Balak, he said, this is how you're going to beat them, this is how you're going to win, just get them to be idolatrous and God will do the work for you. God will destroy them, right? Uh, so why isn't that mentioned any place in the Torah itself? It seems to me that's an important, an important piece of information. So here's the Rishisei Laila. Rishisei Laila is a book that was written by Rav Tzadok. You know, Rishisei Laila uh, was dreaming. You know, he, 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 he couldn't help himself but dream about Torah. It was just not there. You know that the Rav Tzadok, was a Talmud of Rav Tzadok was the was the Rebbe in Lublin who came after the Taurus Emes who was the Rav Leibla Eger who came after who came after uh, um, see when you get old you forget the, you forget names the first thing goes is names I'll remind myself as we talk so Rav Leibla so I always tell you Rav Tzadok had very few Hasidim, which was great for us, because instead of talking to Hasidim about their problems, he wrote all these Svarim, which we can now learn. So it was good for us that he had no Hasidim. I think his name was Rabinowitz, Rabinowitz. So look at this. Look what he says. He says, That's what he said before. Right? I'm picking out a, a, a passage in a much longer discussion of Balak and Bilam. It's like, what's the difference? What's Ma'alat Yisrael? In what way are the Jews superior? 
to the non-Jews. Af otan rishay Yisrael she'ein lam chelig lama baklal she'ein kofrim batorah v'chula ve'ein lam shayachut l'moshe rabbeinu olav ha'shalom she'hu hoda'at הדעת דישראל מצד חיבור לבבם להשם יתברך והם נתקו מעצמם זה. So listen, you remember that Rav Sadek was a Hasidish Rebbe. A Hasidish Rebbeim have a certain special attitude to the Rebbe. Like the Rebbe is not only their pragmatic leader, the one who's going to get them from A to B, or to move, you know, from, from this town to that town, even though the Rebbe also did that very often. But the Rebbe was, in fact, more than, not a spiritual guide or a spiritual leader. He was that too. But he was able to uplift you and your spiritual achievement. And so, the Hasidim felt, I mean, I'm not talking in a very general way about Hasidim, of course, there are differences Every group wanted to distinguish itself in one way or the other, but they are, basically they all agreed that if I daven with the Rebbe, my davening is better. It's not like I'm, I'm in a good spot, you know, like, like La Havdil, you go to see a football game, so you want to sit on the 50-yard line, because that's a good spot. It doesn't make you into anything, it's just you're able to see everything better. So when it comes to the Rebbe, if I'm standing next to the Rebbe during davening, he's davening and I'm davening. So my davening, of course, is better because he gets slept along with the Rebbe. So that Moshe Rabbeinu was like, he's the ultimate model for the Rebbe. Every Rebbe is a refraction of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Everyone. Sometimes, usually the Rebbe is alive, but sometimes the Rebbe could be dead. It doesn't make any difference. Right? Braslav, as you know, made a was very successful at promoting the value of having a Rebbe even if he's dead. And so if you go to Davin in Uman on Rosh Hashanah, something which I've never done, but I have been in Uman, you know, <laughs> but if you go to Davin in Uman on Rosh Hashanah, you're not going because it's an odd place or because you could Davin close to the grave of Rav Nachman. No. You're going because the davening is qualitatively better. Right? That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for an exotic experience. You just want it to be better. And for a lot of people who go, I mean, they validate that. A lot of people go there. 25,000, 30,000 people. But every year there are more people. There'll be more people in, in Uman than there are in Yerushalayim someday. But, but, but they all go and they all say, I'm not all, the ones who come to me to tell me how great it is, they all say that there's nothing like it. And nothing like it, even though it's exactly the same as davening every place else, right? There's a shalir tzibur and there are people and they have a matzah and they follow it. They, it's like exactly the same, but it's different. That's the point. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate Rebbe. Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate Rebbe. And therefore, in order to get the bracha from Moshe Rabbeinu, or to get any bracha from Moshe Rabbeinu, you had to be with him. You had to be connected to Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what Ratzadok says. So what about all the people in Israel who at that time were deniers, or people who didn't believe in God, who didn't believe in Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah, 
etc. They were not connected. They were not connected so that any bracha that would come from Moshe Rabbeinu would not include them. They would not be included because they couldn't connect to Moshe Rabbeinu. But if Bilam gave the bracha, Bilam was nobody. I mean, he was a prophet, it's true, but but it's spiritual achievement, he was nobody. So he could give a bracha to Kalal Yisrael, to the entirety of the Jewish people, right? He could give that bracha, which would then devolve upon every single person, even the ones who denied the Torah, and even the ones who were not uh, happy about about Moshe Rabbeinu's claim that, that the Torah came from heaven and they were... They were deniers of the Torah. So that Bilam's bracha, Bilam's bracha applied to every single Jew. And those Jews, I mean, certainly if they had children and grandchildren who were more devoted, they would be primary recipients of the bracha. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he could not play that role. And so he explains, Rav Tzadik explains there's a Gemara, the fourth line at the end of the line, the Gemara says, It's a mysterious statement. What is that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the book of Devarim? He wrote it down. He wrote down the book of Devarim, right? Everybody knows that the book of Devarim is a little different, a little strange, is that it has, has different ideas in it. This is already stated by the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra. And, and all the Mephoshim down to the modern, to modern Mephoshim today. Not university, uh, uh, people, but, 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 uh, um, people who, who are traditional commentaries. They all recognize the fact that Dvarim is this. So the, the, if the Gemara says, Moshe Abedu Katab Sifro, so that's an important thing for me to know because somehow there was suspicion about the book of Dvarim. But what does it mean to say? that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the parasha of Bilam. Of course he wrote the parasha of Bilam. He wrote all the parasha. What is it that the Gemara tried to say? So Rabbi Tzadok says. What they mean is, what, the, what that means is that Moshe Rabbeinu turned the parasha of Bilam into regular Torah by writing it down. And so it was because of Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately that the bracha applied on a higher level to everybody in Klal Yisrael. And that's the idea of that's the idea that uh, Rav Tzadok uh, gives us. What? But Bilam's bracha is before you have this, the sinning of the Jewish people. There's the bracha that he... No, no, but they were sinners amongst the Jewish people. All these people who later on... The sinning that goes on is this incident. But that no, 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 that's not what he means. He means the opposite. The people who were, who were attracted to idolatry yeah. were ready out of the, the parsha. That otherwise they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been punished so severely. That's what. The, not the, no, they did other things as individuals. This was just because that's what he that's what he says. No, he says there were people like that. No, in a but he says there must have been people like that in order to distinguish the bracha of Moshe and the bracha from from Bilam. That's what he says. But so it it turns out it turns out that uh, that. That, like, if you read the story in a certain way, therefore, what was it that Bilam really wanted to do? Bilam knew that he couldn't overwhelm 
the power of God. That if God says don't, it means you can't. So it's almost like Bilam said, okay, I'll do what I can do. But at the end, the real klala, the real uh, uh, insult and, 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 and curse that B'nai Israel is going to have to suffer is these Midianite women. In, in, in other words, as zealous as God is to protect B'nai Israel from my curses, so too is God zealous to punish B'nai Israel for going after the Midianite women and trying and, and in the direction of, of idolatry. So it turns out, as Chazal said, that the whole story, the story of Bilam going with Balak and trying to curse the Jews and blessing them, etc. And, and then the story of, of the, the daughters of Midian, it's all one story. It's all one story. And the advice that he gave Bilam, the advice he gave Bilam to send the Midianite women was the original intention of Bilam. Bilam knew that he would not be able to, uh, uh, to overwhelm God's interests. So if you ask, like, what was Bilam's interest? What was Bilam's interest? His interest was in lulling people into a sense of, of security. That even a non-Jew, an idolater, non-Jew, idolater, could be close to God. And it was Bilam, by, by, by giving these brachot to B'nai Yisrael in the name of God, Bilam loved, lulled the Jews into this idea that idolaters are also close to God and that idolatrous things are not so bad. And that was the original intention of Bilam. Bilam knew that he would never be able to curse the Jewish people against God's will. And yet he thought that he would lull them into a full sense of security, a full sense of, of their relationship to God, which would enable them to adopt the idolatrous notions of the Midianite women. Okay, have a uh, have a good job. No, because it's the same thing. That's all there is is the Eitzah. There's nothing. It's not hidden. It it was his original intention.